Well, good morning. You know, other than Jesus himself, this book is all about King David. King David's name is found in the books of Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Zechariah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Acts, Romans, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, and Revelation. Other than Jesus himself, there's no other name in Scripture more so than David. Uh, David wrote 73 of the Psalms for us. Other than Jesus himself, there's no one else that gives, Scripture gives as much content or as much text to as David. As a matter of fact, one of the titles that Jesus would bear that would prove his Messiahship would be Son of David. It is hard to overemphasize the significance that David had in biblical history. And so you might say, well, what's so special about David? It's a good question. And we want to look, that's partially what this series is about, because David was a regular person. We're gonna, we will see that, especially as the series unfolds. But David was also a man after God's own heart. And so you, you ask yourself, how is, what is that all about? Moses leads Israel out of, out of Egypt. They go in, they're about 70 strong. They come out, they're about 2 million strong. After 40 years of wandering around the desert, Joshua leads Israel to take on in the promised land, to conquer it. After they get it conquered, they divide it up into 12 states, 12 tribes. And initially, each of these states tries to independently rule themselves. It's just a dismal failure. And so finally, after a while, they all get together and say, we need a king. And so the first king that they're given is a man by the name of Saul, King Saul. And initially, Saul's a good guy. Saul is humble, he's faithful, he serves God, he's a military strategist, he's a faithful in accomplishing what God has called him to accomplish. But in time, the, the, the prestige, the, the position, the power corrupts Saul. Or maybe what it does is it simply reveals what's been in his heart all along, right? Saul's heart is divided. Saul's heart ends up being for himself. But God wants a man whose heart is after God to be king. And so in a very private ceremony, Samuel anoints a new king. Uh, David, he's junior high when this happens. Now, the only people who know about this anointing is David's dad, David's brothers, Samuel and David. Now, David's dad doesn't say anything to anybody because he's confused. David's brothers are embarrassed. David is too humble. And Samuel is thinking this is just too dangerous because if Saul finds out that Samuel anointed a new king, he's done. And so while David's been anointed king, Saul continues to reign. And, and David kind of, though, has the, the, the Midas touch. I mean, everything he touches turns to gold. We find him uh, coming into, serendipitously, right, into King Saul's court as Saul's private musician. David was a good musician, but then Saul's going to realize in time that David's abilities go way beyond music. And, and David takes out Goliath. We were here for that last week, and so... So Saul puts David in charge of all of his armies. 
And David goes out, and, and he's got great success. And the people are all, all hey, David, and he's loving this. And David marries into the family, marries Saul's youngest daughter. And David has, as his mentor, the most godly man in all of, all of Israel. His name is Samuel. And David has a storybook friendship, a friendship like all of us want, but very few of us will find down here on this earth. But a, a storybook friendship with Saul's oldest boy, Jonathan. Yes, God is smiling on David. But things begin to unravel. Initially, Saul likes David. David's great. David gave all the Philistines, you know, the Israel's number one nemesis over to, to Saul's armies. And so he likes him. But, but the people begin to notice that David is winning all the victories, not Saul. And, and the, the people's hearts start going to David. And Saul notices that the people notice that, that David's winning the victories, not Saul. And, and Saul notices that the people's hearts are going towards David. And he gets a little bit nervous, and so he sends David out on some kamikaze-esque missions. There's no way David's going to survive this, but guess what? David does, and he comes back against all odds, and the people are like, oh, he can do no wrong. He's a hero, and David's name becomes the national anthem that Israel is singing, and this makes Saul insanely jealous. And so twice, David has to evade a spear being thrown at him in the palace by Saul. Saul accuses David of disloyalty, of treason, and David is on the run. Saul puts a contract out on his life, and David, David's uh, wife, Saul's youngest daughter, helps him escape one night. But then when she's questioned about this, she basically throws David under the bus. She says, you know, it's not my fault. He threatened me. I didn't, couldn't do anything. So, so he loses his wife. He runs to his mentor, Samuel, the guy who anointed him king. He probably got a couple questions right now, right? But he goes to, to Samuel, and then Saul hears about this, and David realizes that he can never see Samuel again because that would endanger Samuel's life. So he's cut off from his mentor. He, he then finds that he's cut off from his best friend, Jonathan, David's oldest boy, the one, only one who at this point loves him and supports him and points him to heaven. That relationship is done. And so David heads for the desert. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. It's lonely in the desert. And, and David would gather some some people around him in time. This would be like the who's who in the Judean mafia. I mean, some folk who are just... Quite, quite the crowd. Uh, but because of who they are, they don't really see eye to eye with David often. And David is still lonely. It is just lonely in the desert. Now, here's the deal. God's going to put David on the throne one day. But God is looking for someone who has a heart after his. And such a thing is not a natural occurrence. I mean, we could choose it. Yeah, I want that. Everyone wants that. But it doesn't come real easy. Anyone who has a heart after God's recognizes that you have to go on a journey to get it. And usually that journey takes you through the desert. A heart after God is very rare, very valuable, like diamonds, and kind of like diamonds, requires extreme heat and extreme pressure in order to build. And so David finds himself in the desert. Let me ask you, have you ever been in the desert? 
I've been in the desert a few times. No one likes the desert, right? I would, who would choose that? Maybe you're facing a rash of uh, terrible consequences or, or circumstances that weren't of your doing, whether it's a, a bad medical report or a, a relationship that went south or a kid that went off the rails or trouble at work or financial insecurity, financial collapse, and, and prayers to heaven in silence and return, and, and you begin to wonder what's going on. And you look at yourself, you know you're not perfect because who's perfect, right? And so maybe I've done something to deserve this, but you see other people who don't have any fear of God or love from God, and yet they are enjoying all the things that you would like. They've got a good marriage. They've got a good family. They've got financial security. And you, the only thing you have left is your faith, and it's pretty anemic at this point. You cry out, oh, God. Are you there? You're in the desert. And you need to know, you need to know, just going through the desert does not give you a heart, hot, heart after God's. No, 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 no. But the decisions you make while you're in the desert, that's what we build. When David's in the desert, his heart would be beaten and bruised and broken and purified over and over and over again, those who have a heart after God are usually well acquainted with the desert. It's sad, but it's the way it is. What we want to do this morning is we want to look at David in the desert. Just one snapshot. it has got lots of them there. And we want to, to ask, ask, what was so special about David? How do you get this heart after God? What's this look like? And so we want to ask this of David and ultimately, obviously, ask this about ourselves. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24. It says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness in En Gedi. Okay. Uh, Saul had intelligence reports coming in all the time, trying to find out where David was. He notices that David's in En Gedi. I don't know if you've ever been with Pastor Dennis to the Holy Land. Think of Masada, okay? It's just, it's just east of the Dead Sea. We're talking wilderness, bad, it's a terrible place. But En Gedi is like an oasis. Uh, you, they, these guys always followed the water. You have to be able to drink. And so it's an oasis. There are springs there, lots of, lots of caves there. And so he's told, David's hanging out in En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. I mean, you believe that, you see, this is crazy stuff, right? David's running, Saul can't find him, I can't find him, I can't find him, but nature calls and so he sneaks into this cave in order to relieve himself and, and takes off his kingly robe, throws it to the side, gets himself in a very vulnerable position and David and his men are in the back of the cave just staring at this going, do you see what's going on here? You can't normally not get near King Saul. He's usually flanked by bodyguards, armor-clad, heavily armed, elite-trained warriors. But here he is in all of his glory, right? Just right there. 
And they're there, they're, <laughs> David, 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 this is of God. Obviously, God opened this door. This, this is our ticket out of the wilderness. This is our ticket into the palace. Go, David, you know what you need to do. Come on. And so David silently pulls his sword from its sheath and starts to creep up. I mean, this would be the best thing for the nation of Israel. No question about it. Saul was a, a bad king at this point. Saul had just murdered uh, tens of priests, their, their families, their children. Uh, Saul had zero concern for the word of God or for the ta tabernacle itself. is stuck in a basement somewhere, so, someone's garage. He doesn't even know where it's at. Uh, Saul was, was a person who look, uses all of Israel's resources, could be fighting the Philistines, could be strengthening their borders, could be protecting the people, but instead he's using it all to go chase down this guy. This is wild, wild stuff going on right here with this. This is the best thing for, for the nation of Israel, for David to take Saul out. It's the best thing, obviously, for David's men. They're faithful to him. They're wandering around in the desert, too, and missing their families, and they've been loyal to him. For, for crying out loud, he should protect his men and get them out of this situation. This is the best thing for David's parents who are hiding in seclusion. For Samuel, who Saul is going to be putting a contract out on Samuel if, if this goes on too much longer. This is the best thing, obviously, for David. He knows, I was anointed king. This is for me. This is properly for me. And so he starts moving forward. And then <laughs> these guys, they, they utter this prophecy. They remind David of the prophecy. David, on top of that, this, this is of God. This is what God said. And so God opens this door, and all of heaven holds its breath. Has God found a man after his own heart? The next few moments would tell. Because as David's creeping closer, he's got a problem. He's got a problem. The problem goes like this. Saul was not elected by some clueless majority of Israelites. Saul did not usurp the throne. Matter of fact, Saul did not even want to be king. But God himself, who knew what Saul was going to do, specifically chose Saul. God himself put Saul on this throne. God opened this door, but am I supposed to go through it? Am I supposed to... to Remove what God has put in place? I, 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 I think not. I think not. It's easy, isn't it, when we're in the desert to rationalize. My goodness, it's easy. If I can make a decision that will get me out of this desert, if I can make a decision that's best for my family, as we hide behind a lot, don't we? If I can make a decision that, that all my counselors and friends are telling me, I mean, Let's face it, everybody would understand David's situation here. They would all understand if he took Saul out. That's what he was supposed to do. That was the right thing. Everybody would understand. Everybody but God. And David knew that. And so that's why I think, since David arose, he got closer, and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, we know the robe wasn't uh, just... Nice clothing for King Saul from his wardrobe. The, the, the king's robe, a whole lot bigger than that. The, the king's robe was determined by, the, by Torah. 
King's robe was, was an official uniform. The king's robe was kind of like his crown. If you were wearing this, you were the king of Israel. And by cutting the corner off, suddenly it was, that robe was invalidated. Suddenly it was against Torah. What David was saying with that is suddenly the person wearing this robe ought not to be king, should not be king, has a broken kingdom. And it's probably better than murder, I'm guessing, right? But still, this would, be, this would be embarrassing for Saul. This would be a bit humiliating for Saul. And I think that's why, very next verse, this is an afterward, David's heart struck him. And you gotta love that, right? David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, now, now you, well, you might say, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is this David's heart struck him? I think David's oversensitive. That's what I think, you know? I mean, keep in mind, this is the guy that killed Goliath. David was not a, a, a stranger to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat warfare. He saw some very gruesome things. He was a part of some very gruesome things. He was not just a, 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 a too sensitive of a man. There was something going on, something going on here. We, if you picture, you got King Saul, who just brought 3,000 trained warriors to chase down an innocent man that Saul knows is an innocent man, to murder him. Now, you think Saul's concerned about cutting off the corner of David's robe? Saul wouldn't be concerned if he cut off David's head. Matter of fact, that's his plan. So then you got David, who's guilt-stricken over embarrassing the king. You, you might say, you know, that's just a little thing. For crying out loud, that's a small thing. But here's the deal. Somebody whose heart is after God does not allow little, small sins to reside in his heart. A heart after God cannot have small sins residing in it. David knows it was a small stone that took out Goliath. Those small things grow. So David's not allowed. Now, turn your attention, would you just for a second, turn your attention inward, inward, and kind of look at your heart and get past the surface stuff, you know, the, hey, I go to church, I'm a good person, I'm better than most of you. Okay, fine, get past all that. But go to the basement of your heart, if you dare, and look around. Do you see any small, little small sins? Not big, just little little lust once in a while, not a lot, not a lot, nothing like bad, just a little, little pride, a little bitterness, a little vengeance. What's hiding in the basement of your heart? Because if there's small sins there, you just need to know, you have a heart, but it's after the manner of King Saul. God is looking for people who have a heart after him, those with the heart after God. Though everyone else thinks it's small, someone whose heart is after God says, I am not going to tolerate that, will not be a part of who, of who, I, of who I am, of who I am. Um, this, is, this is fun, this next verses, six and seven. He said to his men, this is, David and his men are having this conversation, right, in the back part of the cave. Meanwhile, Saul is up just, a, he's up there trying to relieve himself. I don't know if the wind is blowing. Whatever reason, he cannot hear this conversation that's going on, but it's a pretty intense conversation because 
the Lord, David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. God put him on the throne. Who am I to take him out? So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack him. They are pulling their swords out. We're going to take him out if you're not going to, David. So David's keeping them at bay. And then Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. How Saul didn't hear all this, I don't know, but he doesn't. Now, if you don't know if you ever had this opportunity, a situation where you recognize, I have missed a great opportunity in life. I had that opportunity, and it was right there, and I just made the wrong call. Stupid. You ever have that? David was going to have another opportunity to take out Saul. A little while later, chapter 26, same picture, though. David's running. Saul's chasing him. And... Uh, David and his right-hand guy, Abishai, go on a reconnaissance mission one night. And lo and behold, this is chapter 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner, that would be Saul's bodyguard, and the army lay around him. And then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, please, David, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. David, David, God keeps opening this door. Uh, duh, maybe you need to go through it. And I know your conscience, your conscience, yeah, yeah. So let me do it for you. I'll pin him to the ground. And I only do it once, right? I'm going to make it as painless and as, as, as simple and quick as possible. Let me take care of this for you, David. And this is, isn't as, this is easy for us when we're in the desert. It's just easy for us. I mean, I might want to take off somebody's head or pin them to the ground, but see, that gets me in jail and gets me in trouble. It doesn't look good if you're a pastor and those kind of things. But when those around me, they want to metaphorically do that. And we all have friends in our camp like Abishai, who are going to be telling us what we need. Who say, I'll do it for you. They've got a lot of scenarios they're going to verbalize of, of vengeance. They've got all kinds of judgment on this person's motivation and on who this person is and who their mama is. And all this. They're talking and talking and talking. And we don't do any. We're not saying anything bad, of course. But we just sit there and sinisterly enjoy it. But, but David is not... not He's protecting Saul, but he's not just protecting Saul. Notice this next line. It's really huge. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Don't rush past that line. It says, Abishai, if you do this, you won't be guiltless. David is concerned about Abishai. David recognizes something that we fail to recognize sometimes, that when, that when people are putting words to their bitterness and anger and hate and jealousy, all that, all that breeds, right? It's more anger and bitterness and hate and jealousy. And, and by letting them do that, it makes their heart harder and gets them farther and farther away from God. And David says, Abishai, you don't want to do this. 
because your walk with God is not worth, Saul's not worth that. So don't go down that road. Those with a heart after God, when they're in a desert, recognize their friends, recognize the hurt. I think this more so, though, David is concerned with Abishai. He's concerned with Saul. He's concerned with Abishai. But more so, he's concerned with God. It's, it's, God is worthy of our obedience and to sin against God, to not trust God. We can trust him. Don't act otherwise. So, so David says, we're not, we're not going there. And then, then look what he says. This is a great verse. This is, this is a great verse. David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put up my hand against the Lord's anointed. Abishai is saying, well, well, David, how many more options like this, opportunities like this are we going to have? How often, how much longer do you want to run around the desert? And David says, you know what? I'm not going to take out the one God put on the throne. And so, so you need to know this, Abishai. If he dies of old age, and I have to spend my life running around this desert doing nothing really significant, just, just, just living from cave to cave, then that's what I'm going to do. You can follow me or not, but I'm going to follow the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you look at the life of Saul. I think this is so wild, because especially early Saul, Saul, I think, wanted to please God. He wanted to please God, but he was committed to pleasing himself. David, on the other hand, I think David wants to please himself, right? He wants to get out of the desert, for crying out loud, who wouldn't? But he's committed to pleasing God. He's committed to pleasing God. Don't, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 57 David writes, he's, he journaled all this time, he's running around in the wilderness, and he writes at this point, when, when Saul is pressuring him, Psalm 57, the, the superscript says, uh, to the choir master according to do not destroy, it was a tune, I guess, that they knew, we don't, um, uh, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So that's when David wrote this, Psalm 57, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Could be this very time. He says this, he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. My, my, God's purpose for me cannot be thwarted. It is not in the hands of, of King Saul. It's in the hands of God. And right now, in the desert somehow, being chased somehow, is God's purpose for me. And I will not reject it. I, I, I will honor him in the desert. And he goes on and he says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. He's gonna sing He's going to worship while he's in the desert, which is wild, right? 
Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. He's going to thank God while he's in the desert. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. That's an easy thing to say when, when it's sunny, isn't it? Your faithfulness is true, and your love for me is great. That, it's a hard thing to say when you're in the desert. But this is the heart of one whose heart is after God. About a thousand years down the road, there would be another son of David. And he'd be going through a very uh, uh, dry desert. Very, very dark night. And, and, and he's, he's there. A group of people are, are just like David in the desert. A group of people are coming to try to take him out. And, and, and his Abishai, his name is Simon Peter, pulls his little dagger and says, let me pin him to the ground. And, and Jesus says, no, no, but Peter, Peter, don't you understand? He says the same sort of thing. Don't you understand what's going on here? I can, if I wanted to, call myriads of angels. If I want to get out of the desert, if my goal is to get out of the desert no matter what, I can get out of this desert. But I'm going to obey God in the desert even if it kills me, which it did. And it's amazing when we think about it, but 2,000 years later, we are here worshiping Christ because he did not tolerate the little sin, because he, he decided he was going to obey even in the desert. When we decide we're going to obey even in the desert, I don't understand this. It makes no sense to me. It's against my logic. It's against what my counselors say. But I know what God's word says. I know what's true. And I am going to obey God. Only glory will come out of that. Only glory will come. So let me ask you, are you in the desert? If not, don't worry. You'll be there sooner or later. It's just the way life is. But when we're in the desert... Making the, the, the choices based on the, the, the voices of our counselors and friends. Making the choices based on our own reason and logic against what we know is the word of God. Simply to get out. That's a heart after Saul. Would you pray with me? Because we're thankful, Lord. We are very thankful that, that Jesus obeyed you in the, 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 the heat. And when it had been easy to, to escape, he knew what was coming. He sweat blood because he, he knew what was coming. And it had been so easy for him to, to escape. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit as we go through this life, as we face things May we, we reflect you knowing that our kids are watching, that this world is watching, and how we reflect you in the desert, in the insignificant, in the pain. That brings you glory. I would pray that that would be so. Give us that wisdom this week in Jesus' name. Amen.